Well, we're so glad that you joined us today. We're in the middle of a series called Forget Not. If you've got your Bible, let's go to Psalm 103. Listen to what it says. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not, forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Listen to this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. There's great benefits in serving God and knowing God and following His way of living. And, you know, so often we find ourselves in places where we remember what we should forget. How many know it's good to forget our failings? I love the fact when it comes to our sin, God takes our sin and He removes it from us. As far as the east is from the west, He removes our sin from us. And he throws that sin into the sea of forgetfulness. He, he doesn't remember it anymore. But how often do we remember what we should forget? And then we forget what we should remember. Today, I want us to center on the faithfulness of God. I know that God has been faithful in my life. And I'm sure you can testify to His faithfulness in your life. But so often we forget God's faithfulness. I know many of us have been sent on an errand to get something from the supermarket. We get to the supermarket. We see a whole lot of other stuff. We pick up the ice cream. We pick up the things, the sweets that we like, but we forget the milk. And the milk is what we're sent for, but we forgot the very thing that we're sent for. I wonder how many Christians, you know, are missing out on a whole lot in life because they're forgetting the mission or the assignment God's given them, and they're distracted by the things around them. There's no time like now to live out God's mission and God's purpose for our life. In fact, I'm praying in this next season, we will experience a spiritual awakening. I don't know about you, but I'm frustrated, a little bit frustrated right now with all the things that are going on in the world, going on in and around New Zealand. You know, there's a frustration there. And I want to suggest to you today that that frustration is actually the energy, if channeled right, it's the energy of a revolution. And we need to see a revolution take place. But the only way that that can occur is through a spiritual awakening. Because lasting change, get this, doesn't happen from self-help. If self-help could help, uh, we'd be sorted a long time ago. <laughs> right now, instead of self-help, what we need is we need God's help. Do I get an amen to that? That's why many people have been fasting over recent times is because we're saying, God, we need you and we need you to intervene in our city, in our country, and in our lives. I I'm believing uh, that something's gonna be triggered, that people are gonna have a spiritual encounter that leads to supernatural change. Because it's a spiritual encounter that actually brings about the change that we need, that we, that we have a aha, a divine moment where we see things from a new perspective. A moment where, where suddenly it's like we get clarity on what needs to happen. 
is where what happens, our outward change becomes a byproduct of an inner transformation. Come on, we've got to believe for those God-given moments that change everything. And today I want to take you to a parable that Jesus told as one of the most famous, well, the most famous parables. In fact, Charles Dickens called it the greatest short story that's ever been written. And we call this parable the, the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son. And I know a lot of you have heard this story, this parable before, but I want you to look at it through a new lens. And so we're going to read it out. Luke chapter 15 is where it's found. In verse 1 it says, listen to this, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. How many sons did he have? He had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me a share of my estate. So he divided his property between them. Notice it was between the two sons. Not long after that, the youngest son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with pods, with the pods that the pigs were eating, but nobody, no one gave him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here am I begging to death, starving to death. I will send out, set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. His son, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the field. So when he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has, has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father and said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You've never given me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you killed the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, You've always, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother's 
brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Well, the title, if you want a title for the message today of my message is, there's more to this. I know a lot of you have heard sermons from this parable. We're focused on different aspects of this story. But I believe God wants to open your eyes to something that you've never seen before. First of all, I want to say, when Christianity first arose in the world, do you know it wasn't called a religion? Some of you didn't know that. It was actually called the non-religion. You know, when it came to temples, priests, and sacrifices, I'll get that out, sacrifices, they were totally redefined in the new covenant. And many people couldn't get their head around it. It was like, this is not religion. This is different. And, and really what needed to happen is they needed to see things from a new paradigm. Paradigm. See, Jesus didn't come to warm our hearts as much as shatter our categories. Jesus didn't come just to make a few tweaks, a few changes, a little bit of fine tuning to the system. See, what you've got to understand is the system was broken because of sin. And a lot of people today live trying to fix something in a broken system. You know, that's what self-help does, tries to make a few tweaks inside a broken system. And all of us can fall into the track, well, I, I just need to work harder, I need to be more disciplined, I need to be smarter, I, I just need to do things better, and, and then I'll take hold of everything that God has for my life. But Jesus came along, and Jesus was a game changer, and He said, no, it doesn't come as a result of working harder, being better, uh, working smarter. No, he says, I, I want to change how you view this. In fact, time and time again, Jesus would say, you've heard it said, but I say to you. In other words, I want to change your view on this. There, there's more to this. Could it be we've been looking at this parable from a limited point of view for many years? First of all, we've titled it wrong. We call it the prodigal son or the lost son. But how many know there were two sons? A better title would be the parable of two sons and the father's love. Because it starts by there was a man who had two sons. See, this parable has two acts in it. Act one is the younger brother, but many of us overlooked act two, which is all about the older brother. Act one we know begins with a shocking request uh, the younger brother comes to his father and says, give me my share of the estate. You know, it's the same back then as it is today. Normally you don't get your inheritance until somebody dies. So, so this is a shocking request. In those days when the father died, the oldest son, get this, received a double portion of what the others inherited. So if a father had two sons, what would happen is the older brother would receive two thirds and the younger brother would receive one third. But that would occur when the father was dead. But here's the younger brother asking for his inheritance now. To ask this while the father still lived was the same as to wish him dead. In essence, what the younger brother was saying is saying, hey, I, I want you... Father, I want your things, but I don't want you. He wanted the Father's things, but he didn't want the Father. He wanted the benefits of living in the Father's house, but in essence, he didn't want the relationship. He didn't want relationship with the Father. It's like, give me my stuff, old man. I'm not interested in knowing you. I'm out of here. 
In other words, uh, what I want is I, I want a religion that affects my situation and circumstances, but I don't want any responsibility or commitment that comes with living in the house. You know, a lot of people have that attitude today. They say, well, I just want a church that meets my needs. And if my needs aren't being met, I'll go out and find another church because it's all about me and my needs. And I just want to be fed. I don't want to do any work. I don't want to get involved. I just want to come and leave whenever I want to. I'm not interested in learning my responsibility as a member of a household or as a member of a body because we are members of the body of Christ. You know, it's like I'm only interested in the stuff that benefits me, feeds me, and as long as it's about me, it's like I'll be there, but if it's not meeting my needs, hey, don't ask anything of me. Because if you ask anything of me, if you inconvenience me, if you offend me, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna leave because I don't recognize love in the form of discipline and responsibility. You know, here, this younger brother said, hey, I want what you, have, what you have to offer, Dad, but I don't want you. He had a moment where it was all about give me, give me, but that moment shifted when he was in a pig pen to make me. Make me one of your hired servants. And coming back home, he got a reception so much more than he could ever imagined. He got justice. He was living in a pig pen. That's what he deserved. He imagined mercy. Mercy's just a little bit less than what you deserve. He imagined being one of his father's hired servants. But what he received was grace. He didn't deserve it, but he was restored to being a son. Now, now, a lot of sermons you would have heard have been on Act 1. After all, that's how people have titled this parable. But today, what I want to look at is Act 2, because enter the older brother. The older brother hears from the servants that his younger brother has been returned, and, and that his father has reinstated him back into the family. And he's furious. So what does he do? He throws an adult tantrum. I know you've never done that before, but he refuses to go in and protest. What's he doing? He's making a statement. You know, it's like when you ask somebody, uh, what's wrong? And they go, nothing, but you know that there's something wrong. Sometimes you don't need to say anything to make a statement. You know, in other words, what people are saying is you should know what's wrong. If I have to tell you what's wrong, you don't really love me. It's like people today, adults, can soak in silence. But silence actually can be a form of manipulation if we're not careful. You know, some people say, well, I want people to know <laughs> that I'm not there. I'm going to make a statement. And the older brother standing outside, what was he doing? He was making a statement. Why was the older brother furious? He was especially upset at the cost of all these happenings. He says, you've never given me a goat for my friends, but here, this son of yours, you've given him a fatted calf. Now, now there's more to this than just a goat over a fatted calf. You see, what had happened is, is the younger brother had been brought back into the family, which then made him an heir again. 
which means he can have a claim of one-third of now their diminished family wealth. And this is what outraged the older brother, as it would for many of us, because the actions of the father are costing him. And what he's doing is he's adding things up. I've worked myself to death, and I've earned what I've got. And my brother here, he's done nothing to earn it. He deserves expulsion. And yet you lavish him with love? Where's the justice in that? And that's why the older brother, he refers to his record. He says, I've never disobeyed you, so I have rights. I'm saying, I at least deserve to be consulted about this. See, the sound of the party didn't make him glad. The sound of the party made him mad. Not just at the younger brother, but at the father. What he was doing is he was casting a vote of no confidence in the father by staying outside. You know, a lot of people today are outside of church because they've got disillusion with God. It's like, what's happening here? How come that you bless this person? And how come I'm left in this place of lack and in this place of need? How many know stuff happens all the time that we don't understand? Even in church. And we're left with questions, how come? Why? Why that? I want to say, you know, in church, there's a lot of imperfect people. But still, the church is God's vessel that, that He's chosen to bring about His purpose in the world. And I want to say, whatever's happened in your life, don't sit outside the party. Don't sit on the outside. Come on the inside, because that's when you're going to discover what God has for your life. And, and maybe what needs to change here is not God, but your view of God. See, we need to understand what this story is all, all about. And to understand it, we need to understand who is Jesus addressing? And if we go back to verse 1 of Luke 15, it says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. So who was gathering around him? The tax collectors, the sinners. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then what happens is Jesus tells this parable. And Luke tells us that there's two groups of people. He says there's two groups of people who have been listening. There's the tax collectors and the sinners. These people would correspond to the younger brother. These are those outside of the church. But the second group, he tells us, are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They represent the older brother, those who are inside the church. And with great economy, Luke shows how, how each one differs in their response to Jesus. But to whom is this parable directed? Who's the focus? Who's the target of this parable? I, I want to say it's the scribes and the Pharisees. And it's in, their, in, in response to their attitude, Jesus begins to tell the parable of not one son, but two sons. And what he does is he, he, he takes an extended look at the soul of the older brother. And, and it climaxes with a plea to the older brother. See, we know how the younger brother responds. He makes his way back home and the father embraces him and restores him back to the family. But we don't know whether the older brother comes back into the party. 
See, the target of the story is not the wayward sinners, but it's those in the church who are upset with the focus of the church being on the younger brother. Here's the thing. If churches aren't appealing to the younger brother, they must be full of more older brothers than we like to think. Ouch. Could it be right now, there's attributes of the older brother inside each and every one of us that we don't even recognize. See, see what you gotta understand, Jesus is not pleading so much with the moral, immoral outsiders, but more to the moral insiders who stand at a distance. It's a mistake just to think Jesus told the story to show us his unconditional love to a younger brother. Again, Jesus wasn't trying to warm our hearts as much as shatter our categories through this parable. What was Jesus doing is he was challenging the system. He reveals the destructive self-centered behavior of the younger brother, but what he's doing is he's condemning the older brother's moralistic life in, in the strongest way. And what Jesus is saying is both are lost. The irreligious and the religious. And both paths lead to death. Could it be there's a lot of people here today on one of these paths? And, and Jesus uses the, the younger brother and the older brother to portray different ways that people try to find happiness and fulfillment. It's, it's the way of moral conformity or, or the way of self-discovery. Uh, there are two paths a lot of people are on today. And, and each act helps us see the lens that we could be looking at life through. It becomes the paradigm in which shapes our understanding. See, the moral conformist, if we're on that path, saying, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna do what I want, but what tradition and the community, what the community wants of me. But on the other hand, the person from self-discovery says, I'm the only one who can decide what's right, wrong and right for me, and I'm gonna live as I wanna live, and I'm gonna find my true self. I'm gonna find my true self and happiness. You know, a lot of people today go, well, I just, I just need to find myself. Often that's an excuse to make a dumb decision. I've never met a person who's found themselves. I've never had this conversation. And like, Sam, you never guess what happened to me. I went to Countdown and I saw me at the checkout. And I went up to me and I said, how are you doing? And me said, oh my gosh, I found myself. And we hugged and the two became one. I've never had that conversation. A lot of people today are looking to find themselves, but the only way you can know your true self is by knowing God, your creator. See, the moral conformist says, well, it's the moral people, the moral people, they are the problem in the world because they do their own thing. But on the other hand, the advocates for self-discovery say it's the bigoted people, the people who say we have the truth. They are the problem with the world and we need a more progressive people. And each, each way is saying our way is the right way. And if you're not with us, you're against us. Are you saying that we fall into one of these categories? Oh, I'd say yes and no. We will either have a lead, leaning to one or the other. And, and some people will even go back and forth. Many have tried moral conformity. 
And it crushed them in a dramatic way. And so then they went on to a path of self-discovery. Others do the reverse. Some people combine both approaches in the same personality. A lot of people can look traditional on the outside. They can look like the older brother, but they have a release valve where they have a secret life, where they act like the younger brother. There are many people here very liberally, uh, liberal and, and irreligious in their lifestyles and views who regard you know, religious conservatives with the, the self-righteousness and fervor of the worst Pharisee. Come on, do you see the contradictions here? And, and Jesus is addressing both of them and saying both of them are wrong. The two hearts of these brothers are the same. Both want what the Father had to offer, but didn't want the Father himself. And both were using the Father for their own self-centered ends. But get this, the younger brother came to his senses. He had an aha moment. He was in the pig pen, and he remembered what was in his father's house. And there he realized it wasn't the Father who needed to change, it was him who needed to change. You know, we're praying and fasting, not because, you know, we want God to act. You know, in fact, when I pray and fast, a lot of the time, the benefit that comes to me is, is the change that happens in me. You know, it happens in me. Now, in the story, I, I love that the father doesn't just go out to one of the sons. You know, he goes out to meet the younger brother. But he also goes out to the older brother. And some of you are thinking, why? Why does God do that? Because God likes the people that you don't. And he goes out to the older brother and says, what's wrong? And the older brother says, I, I've done nothing wrong. And yet you never threw me a party. And the father looks at him and says, all I have is yours. Yeah, you could have had a party anytime you wanted. It's like he's saying, it's not my fault that you didn't draw down on the benefits of being part of my house. It's not my fault that you forgot the benefits. The father, in essence, was saying, what he found, you already had. And you have a problem with him for not knowing something that you already know. But I have a problem with you for not using what you know. See, there's a lot of people who know some stuff today, but they're not using it. And the question we've got to ask is, are we benefiting from being part of the Father's house, or are we just walking around the house frustrated? See, you can be in the house, but guess what? God's not going to throw you a party. You've got to throw your own party. He's provided the stuff, and, and we need to choose to celebrate. Now, now you've got to understand, and just to close, uh, why is the party so important? Because I really believe church should be the biggest party on the face of the earth. Do I get an amen to that? It should be the biggest party on the face of the earth. And Jesus tells not one parable in Luke 15, but three parables addressing the, the, the response of the tax collectors and the Pharisees. The first story or parable he tells is the parable of the lost sheep where the shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the one. He leaves the 99, searches for the one, and when the one's found, guess what happens? A party is thrown. He says, rejoice with me, for I found my lost sheep. 
The second parable Jesus tells is the parable of the lost coin. A woman has 10 coins, lights the lamp, loses one, lights the lamp, sweeps the house, and finally finds this one coin. And again, they throw a party. It's like, rejoice with me, I've found my lost coin. Then the third parable, the, the parable of two lost sons, not one, but two lost sons. You know, there's similarities in all these things. Now, in each of these parables, something was lost. You had a lost sheep, a lost coin, and lost sons. But in this parable, something is found. The sheep, the coin, the son. And all of these parables end with rejoicing over the return of what was lost. But the third parable differs from the other two. See, in the first two, someone goes out and diligently searches for that which is lost. The searchers let nothing distract them, get in the way, and they find that which is lost. But in the third, we hear about the lost son and we expect to search, but nobody goes out and looks for him. The question we've got to ask is, who should have been searching for the younger brother? See, in Genesis, we find the story of two brothers again, Cain and Abel, an older brother and a younger brother. And in that story, God asked the, the older brother, you know, well, it doesn't ask him, he, he actually lets him know, you are meant to be your brother's keeper. See, it's the older brother's role to look after the younger. The church's role, you know, in, in the world today is to be the older brother, to search for the younger brothers and sisters around us who are lost right now. Come on, I wanna say, let's not forget our purpose. Because a true older brother, you know, would have said in that situation, hey, dad, you know, my brother's stuffed up. His life's in ruins. I will go look for him and I will bring him home. The, the inheritance is gone, but I'll bring him back into the family at my own expense. See, it's at the expense of the older brother, the younger brother is brought back in. Because remember, the father divided his property between both of them before the younger brother left. The younger brother got, his, got one third. And then the, 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 the father was able to say later on, he said, everything I have is yours. Do you know he was telling the literal truth? Every penny, every robe, every ring, everything in the state belonged to the older brother. See, in Act 1, what we see is we see the freedom that flows from the father offering forgiveness to the younger, younger son. But in Act 2, that gives us insight to actually what it costs. The younger brother's restoration was free to him, but it came at an enormous cost to the older brother. And, and the father couldn't just forgive the youngest son Somebody had to pay. But what Jesus does, Jesus does, he doesn't put a true older brother in the story. Somebody who's willing to go out and seek and save that which is lost. And it's heartbreaking. And what the younger brother gets in the story is he gets a Pharisee instead of a brother. Yeah, you know, but we don't. You gotta think about this right now. And I'm about to come to a close. Think of the younger brother that you, uh, the older brother that you need right now. 
See, instead of a flawed brother, you need a true brother. A brother who's prepared to go to the next country. But we've got to understand, we've got a brother in Jesus who didn't just go to the next country, he came from heaven to earth. He, he was prepared to pay an infinite amount, the cost of his own life, so that you and I could be restored back into the family. Our salvation, our forgiveness was free, but it did cost somebody something. Our true older brother, Jesus, paid the price of our debt. Forgiveness always involves a price. Someone has to pay. Our true older brother paid the debt on the cross in our place, and he gave us something that we deserve. We didn't get justice. You know, we didn't get even mercy. Mercy is just a little less than what we deserve. You know, what we receive from Jesus is we receive grace. And it's until we look at our life through the lens of grace, we'll never be able to fully comprehend the life that God's called us to. See, some of us have taken for granted the grace that we have received. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Come on today, you can know His forgiveness. Today, you can know His love in spite of what you've done. You can know the unconditional love of Jesus. For those who are inside the church, let's be people who confront that older brother mentality. See, the problem with the older brother is he didn't have a focus on the lost younger brother. Our role and our mission right now as a church is to look outside of ourselves and to go on an all-out search to restore the younger brothers in our worlds back into the family of God. That's our mission and that's our purpose. Come on, don't stay outside the party. Don't sulk. I believe right now it's like the Holy Spirit would come to some people and just wake them up on the inside because you've been asleep. But these people listening to this today, you're like the younger brother. And today, your eyes have been opened to your need for Jesus. And it's like, God's just saying right now, come home. Come home. You walked away. You've been living life your own way, but it hasn't worked out. Come home to the love of Jesus. Come home to the grace of Jesus. And it's there you can find healing. And it's there you can find what you need and be restored back into the family of God. The Bible says, for as many as have received Him, He's given them the right to be called children of God. Come on, you're a son and daughter of the King. You just need to receive His love and receive what He has on offer. Heaven wants to party over you being restored back to the family. The Bible says, when one person responds, all of heaven rejoices. Let heaven rejoice over your life today by coming back to Jesus. How about we just pray where we are right now? Holy Spirit, I pray that you come and touch all of our hearts and all of our lives. And right now where we've looked at things through a limited point of view, I pray you'd show us 
things that only the Spirit can reveal. Come and meet us with your love. Come and meet us with your grace. Whether we're in the position like the younger brother or whether we're in the position like the older brother, I thank you, Lord, your heart is towards both. Lord, and you come out and you meet. Lord, you meet us where we're at. Lord, come and do what only you can do. We pray this next season, Lord, we would see supernatural change take place in and through our lives. We pray that you bring breakthrough. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen.